Section four of War the Creator by Gillette Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. War the Creator, Part ten. It was more than a rout, it was a panic. Into the wood the shells followed them, there seemed to be no escape. Every moment they expected to see the Uhlans charging them down. Dodging this way, that way, deafened, shouting, Over here! Over there! the shells dropping to right, to left, as if from the clouds, the men, breathless, exhausted, poured out upon a road, to stagger back almost run over by a clattering battery of guns, galloping, too late, galloping toward the firing line. They stopped to pant, and rest, and then ran on. In half an hour they were out of the range of the German artillery, and they halted exhausted, shamefaced, sick with terror and despair. The officers, too heartbroken even to swear at them, reformed their men with difficulty, and herding them like frightened sheep, fell back in something like order, till they came upon a line of trenches that had been occupied by the Germans. The pits were filled instantly, and the men were beginning to regain their calmness and courage, when from a nearby hill the terrifying cannonade recommenced, the butchery recommenced, the explosions, and the screams. Out of the trenches came all that were left alive, and there was no stopping the army now, till, hurrying all night long, without food and rest, demoralized, it found its way back to Mouzon. Here the Seventeenth Corps was pulled together for a hasty review. The roll-call showed that in Coco's regiment there were fourteen hundred forty-three dead, wounded, or missing, fully one-third of its strength gone. The men were in a fury of disappointment and rage against the generals who had been responsible for the massacre. Where was the artillery? Where were the stretcher-bearers? Where were the ambulances and surgeons? Not one did Coco see during the battle, after the battle, not even during that whole terrible retreat. And it wasn't at Mouzon alone that there was wondering, complaining, raging at the failure of the campaign. On the left wing the British expeditionary force, hot with rage at not being supported by General Persine, was falling back from defeat at Mons to pursuit at Bavaille, and it was not yet out of danger. On the right the Fifteenth Corps, fat cowards of the Midi, had turned tail and run in Lorraine. Oh, there was something rotten somewhere. Paris was wild. The government was shuffled, and the president dealt out a new hand. His high trump was Millerand, new minister of war, but his right bower was Joffre, commander-in-chief, of whom all the world was soon to hear. To Coco at Mouzon the news came that the Fourth Army was to be commanded by General de Langle de Carré. Little did Coco care who commanded it much more important than that, was that he would get one night's good sleep on a sack of straw. By this time the boy had begun to realize what war meant. That night he wrote to his aunt, I have received my baptism of fire, but I am unhurt. It was terrible. Don't be frightened, and be sure and write to my mother that you have had good news from me. He signed the postcard for the first time, Georges. Coco had begun to be a man. If it has ever been your lot to go without having your clothes off for two weeks, to march through dust and mud in them, sleep in them, fight in them, run in them, 
then you'll understand how Georges Cucurou longed for a swim in the river Meuse, to bathe his poor, aching, blistered feet. But no, up and out again at six o'clock next morning, off on the road toward Belgium again, a counter-attack. All day and all night they marched. Part Eleven. There was no singing this time. The twentieth was smarting with the shame of its defeat. It was savage for revenge. But, held in reserve behind the battle-line, it had to wait listening to the booming cannon and the crackle of machine-guns for an impatient hour. Then they were ordered back to Mouzon. At Mouzon, news of a fresh defeat awaited them. The town was now distraught, terror-stricken by the ever-nearing, ever-increasing thunder of the German cannonade. When Georges arrived at midnight, almost every house was lighted. The frenzied inhabitants were packing up or hiding their belongings, ready to fly. The Boches were coming. At dawn, Georges, sleeping by the roadside, was awakened to see a pathetic procession of refugees hurrying away to safety. Pathetic? It was tragic, comic, grotesque, sublime. Everyone was dressed in his best clothes. Everyone carried bundles, carried hens, carried trunks, carried the Lord knows what, and the memories of 1870 to boot. Wagon after wagon passed, piled high with furniture, bags, boxes, baskets, and provisions, with women and children atop, and cows tied on behind. Whole families, three generations, trudged on foot, men and women and children, 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 children and weeping old grandmothers trundled along in wheelbarrows. Part Twelve. It was a bitter sight for Georges, burning to defend his country. What was the French army good for, anyway, if it couldn't protect this pretty, innocent little town, so charmingly scattered over the wooded heights of the Meuse? But Mouzon was doomed. Already the sappers with wires and sticks of melanite were blowing up the picturesque old stone bridge. All next day Georges' regiment, hidden in the woods, watched the shelling of the town. All next night, hungry, soaked with rain, enraged, they saw it burn, house by house, till at last the flames licked up the belfry of the church. That was the way they defended Mouzon. Another day another night of drenching rain in those wretched sopping woods, while the German guns boomed all about them. Georges and two other boys succeeded in building a dirty little shelter of branches covered with wet straw, and they crawled underneath. Water-soaked, the clumsy thing collapsed on top of them in the middle of the night. But, heavy with soldiers' sleep, it took more than that to wake them. In the morning, however, a shell bursting only a few yards away did succeed in bringing them stumbling out from under the soggy mass, to find to their amazement that their regiment had already departed. End of section 4